Hi, guys. It's me, Tracy Lee Coco. Uh, I think you might remember me on Star Trek TNG as Lieutenant J. And you're listening to Trek Untold. Hello and welcome back to Trek Untold, the Star Trek podcast that goes beyond the stars. I'm your host, Matthew Kaplowitz. Have you ever wondered about all of the characters that appeared in the background of Star Trek shows? It doesn't matter the series, there's always tons of actors running around to ensure that viewers believe these locations are active and realistic. Typically, these are one-off gigs. An easy paycheck for folks looking to get their first credit or maybe their sag after card, and ultimately something to just buff up their resume. For some, being a background character becomes a profession unto itself. Today's guest is an actress who became one of the most recognizable characters to see aboard the Enterprise, who was certainly not a part of the opening credits. That person is Tracy Lee Coco. If you haven't heard her name before, look her up and you'll find her in a Starfleet uniform as Lieutenant J. And once you see her face, I guarantee you're never going to stop spotting her in episodes of The Next Generation. Tracy has appeared in dozens upon dozens of episodes of TNG, as well as three of the four next-gen movies, reprising the same character who barely uttered a word on screen throughout all of them. She also appeared in a few episodes of Voyager and Deep Space Nine, but that time around not as Lieutenant J, but under heavy prosthetics as all manner of crazy-looking aliens. It was during one of those times where she was in full alien prosthetic as an Antikin that she ended up meeting Sharon Stone, which is a story we absolutely talked about this week. She's continued to be very active in Star Trek, in fan films, and within the community, and has become a fan favorite at conventions, and... After chatting with her for this week's episode, it's easy to understand why. Before we begin this episode, I'd like to remind you to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Trek Untold. All one word, no spaces. If you want to check out some of our Trek Untold merchandise, you can also do that on our Teespring store, which you can find on teespring.com slash stores slash Trek Untold, where we've got shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, tote bags, and all sorts of other things available to proudly display how much you like this podcast. If you're having trouble finding the link, just check us out again on social media, and you'll see us posting about it from time to time there as well. You can also support our show by visiting patreon.com slash trekuntold. If you're already following us or offering us your support, thank you for your help. Most of all, if you can't support us financially, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. This helps more people find out about the show and helps spread awareness of Trek Untold. I'd also like to make a quick shout-out to our friends at Triple Fiction Productions, who make some great 3D-printed Star Trek-inspired products for toys and people, but you'll hear more about them a little bit later on. Now, without further ado, let's beam up this week's guest. Computer, access interview file. Affirmative. Initiating program. Welcome back to Trek Untold, and now joining me on the other side of the line, we have a familiar face, someone you've seen plenty of times, dozens of times in Star Trek The Next Generation, as well as in several of the Next Gen movies. And that person is Tracy Lee Coco. Tracy, how's it going today? Hey, great. How are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. So yeah, again, like I was doing research as I do for all of my shows. And uh, it's really cool looking up you because as I do more research, I keep seeing your face in all these episodes I'm watching now. And I'm like, my God, I've known this face for years and I never put a name to it. So it's really awesome to actually talk to you. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I've been on, um, I've been told I've been on a hun- over 100 episodes on um, 
the next generation. And then I don't know if you need this, but I was also 15 different aliens on Deep Space Nine and Voyager as well. Yeah, you've pretty much been everything and everyone. You've served in Starfleet and you've been an alien. So, yeah, we've got a lot to talk about today. So I think we, we should just jump right on in. Yeah, I wore every color. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. I'm everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tracy, first question. What is your earliest memory of Star Trek? My earliest memory? Well, I, I, I used to watch, you know, the old one with um, William Shatner. Um, God, I don't even remember what episode it was. I mean, you know, it's been so long. But, um, yeah, watching it on TV. I used to watch all the old shows on TV, too, like Batman and <laughs> all those fun shows like that. Yeah. So you were born in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and then your family moved to California, correct? Correct, when I was two. So what was your childhood like? Uh, what, what did your parents do, and what did little Tracy think she was going to be when she grew up? Well, let's see. My mom um, was a teacher, a kindergarten teacher for... She's still alive. Um, she was a teacher for like 47 years. My dad did a bunch of stuff. Um, God, he used to be a cop, a motorcycle cop. Um, but then he also went into teaching. He uh, passed away um, on 9-11, not on 9-11, that 9-11, but on 9-11. Um, so basically, yeah. Um, and me, well... Um, you know, I, I always had it in me to, uh, you know, make people laugh and act and dance and stuff like that. I always wanted to be in the, in the movies. Um, but, I, you know, in high school, I um, really wanted to go into, like, uh, detective work for the police office um, and then also, like, become a veterinarian. Um, and one thing led to another. And... Yep. Now I I didn't do any of that. So, but yeah, yeah. I had a you know pretty good childhood. You know, um, being being the only child, and then basically my mom, you know, brought me up because my dad, uh, her and my dad divorced when I was um like six. So it was basically just mom and I. So she was basically my my mom and dad. So, and she lives in Oregon right now, and she got remarried and. Yeah, so this whole, you know, thing going on right now with her health and stuff has been kind of on my mind, so. Um, but other than that, yeah, I love my mom. She's like my best friend, so. Oh, that's very cool. So before you got into acting, you were a model. So tell us about how you went into that field. Wow. Um, let's see. I was working for a company out of Finland um, selling motocross apparel. And for all the Midwest, I was like the sales rep um, for the, the company Cinesalo. And let's see, one day the photo shoot for the mag their magazine, the model didn't show up, so they kind of threw me in there. And the photographer, Mr. Cardone, who was really well known, kind of took me under his wing and got me all these other modeling jobs, like for pulling spa magazines. I basically did like um, print work, the headshot kind of thing. Um, I wasn't tall enough to be like a ramp model or anything. But, um, yeah, I started out doing modeling, and then one thing led to another. Um, got videos. I did a uh, – I don't know if you have this on your archive, but I have. I did a, a McDonald's video. Yeah, I was going to ask about that, what you actually do at McDonald's. Oh, my God. It was hysterical. I got the audition, and I had to go, like, three times for it up in L.A., um, and audition for it, and it was like a singing thing. <laughs> and we walked through, we walked through McDonald's, and I'm singing. I think I posted it on one of my pages. But yeah, I, McDonald's was basically too was one of my very first jobs when I got out of high school. 
So I, I worked at McDonald's, which is kind of funny, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And then, um, you know, I did a lot of other music videos. I did a Madonna video um, where she was having a contest for the song Through uh, Blue, and um, we got second place in it. Um, and I think I posted that, too, on my website. But, um, yeah, I, I just love doing stuff like that. I mean, I love doing videos. Um, I don't know. I've always wanted to, like, be in the acting thing. So, And I like doing voice stuff, too. I've done you probably are going to ask me that question about my demolition man pinball game on the voice in that game. If you play it, but I was also in the movie as a cop. Yeah. It's been quite a ride, quite a ride. I've actually got to ask, but when you did the McDonald's shoot, did they actually have McDonald's food as part of like the craft services on that day? Uh, no, <laughs> it was all like on the, uh, like a fake McDonald's set. And then they had like the McDonald's food, but it was fake, but it looked <laughs> real. Yeah. So thank God, because I would have eaten it all. <laughs> well, I mean, McDonald's food is already fake as is. So I don't know how much faker it can get. But I know, right? <laughs> so from there, you did all this work in commercials uh, and for photos and on TV. But how did you eventually get into episodic TV acting? Well, I got a casting agent. And my very, very, very first movie was Gross Anatomy with uh, Matthew Medine, Christine Lottie. And I think Catherine Zuniga, um, and I play a medical student in that. After that, I believe I landed a role on Baywatch when they first started, and I was a regular lifeguard on there. And then Baywatch got canceled, and right after they got canceled, I got the uh, <clears throat> movie with uh, uh, Eddie Murphy, Another 48 Hours, and that was being filmed on the Paramount lot where someone from Star Trek happened to be on the set that day and saw me and I was I did a stunt I do stunts too and saw me uh, on the set of another 48 hours and said you need to go talk to so-and-so um over at Star Trek I think they'd really like your look so I did and then that's poof that's when it all started I you know I I they loved my look I I passed the audition they had um one thing led to another and then here I am now it's crazy and then I met, you know, Michael Westmore, who's the head of makeup there, and he gave me the opportunity to do 15 different aliens. So I just, I, I am so grateful. It's been, a, it's been, it's been the best thing in my life. So at that point, when yeah. you got Star Trek, were you still modeling as well? Yes. So was there a point where you basically had to kind of make a decision, like I'm going to go in one direction? I can't do both these things. Did that happen to you, or did it just kind of naturally turn into one thing more than the other? It kind of naturally just turned into one thing, you know, than the other. I mean, I could still do both now, but I mean, yeah, that's it. Just things happen, and then one thing led to another. I mean, I like I mentioned earlier, I was in the movie Demolition Man. I played a cop, and um, I Paramount had me do. Uh, I dressed up as a Borg for a convention for them to promote their pinball game, the Borg pinball game, and I get a tap on my shoulder. And it's the head designer from Williams Bali Midway who makes all of the, um, you know, pinball games around the world. Yep. And he said, I really like your voice. I'm coming out with a, a pinball game for Demolition Man. Would you like to be the computer voice in it? And I was like, what? I go, yeah. I go, I was in the movie and I play a cop. And they go, oh, my God. So they flew me out to Chicago and they got the outfit that I originally wore, my cop outfit from the movie to wear in the demo. And that's on YouTube. Um, the Demolition Man ball pinball game promo or something. 
um, anyway, yeah. And at the time I did it, I, you know, I didn't have like a manager or anything. So they asked, you know, like how much, you know, do I want? And I said a number and then they, they paid me the money that I wanted. But I, if I would have known at the time, I could have got half the money and they would have given me a game to have as my own. Um, I didn't know that at the time. So now I'm kind of like, ah, I wish I would have, you know, known that because I'd have a pinball game now with my voice in it. So, <laughs> you know, you learn stuff like that, you know, you learn stuff. So as you go. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's been great, you know, and then, you know, I've been doing the, the Comic-Con circuit. So, and that's just, uh, I love doing those. I love all my fans. I love meeting new people. You know, obviously right now they're all on hold, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure they'll be coming back. (laughs) I think you're the first person I've talked to that's been on Baywatch. So what do you remember actually about working on that show? Oh, wow. It was cold. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We'd have to get there so early in the morning. Right. And then wear our little outfits. And then, you know, it just depended on, uh, the script that day, if we had to jump in the water or not. And, Yep, usually I did, so it was pretty cold. Um, and they also had me, you know, do uh, I surf, so they had me surfing. And I don't know if you know this, but, you know, the more things you do on a movie set, they pay you for them. <laughs> like, you know, if you work in smoke, you get a smoke bump, because um, I'm in Screen Actors Guild. So, you know, and if they don't feed you on time, you get, they, you know, have to pay you for that. It's just crazy stuff. But, yeah, working on Baywatch is great, you know. Um, going to the beach every day, you can't, I mean... Pretty cool. And you get to hang around David Hasselhoff when he's not wearing a shirt. I mean, do you remember anything about working with the Hoff? Oh, yeah. He was great. He loved me to death. And um, at the time, his stand-in is was named David Hass. And he looked, I swear, just like David Hasselhoff. So he would do all of David's swimming and all that. And I was like, do you not swim? And he's like, well, I don't really like to. So he probably knows how now. But back in the day, it was just his stunt double that did all of that. Um, and I was on pre-TAM you know, Anderson. And then, oh, that reminds me, I even did a movie with her called Barbed Wire. And we had a uh, fight scene in that movie, but that ended up on the, you know, cutting room floor, which was a bummer. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny how you went, you're on Baywatch right before Pam gets there, and then you go to Barbed Wire with Pam. So she's kind of been around your career a, a bunch of times in some indirect ways. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's been crazy, man. I tell you, this, it's been crazy. I never knew that, you know, my mom back when I said, you know, I'm going to try this acting thing, you know, give me about a year, see if it, you know, see if it works. Well, it kind of worked. And then it's just weird. Um, I just, the Star Trek thing has been just, I can't even tell you how much I appreciate, you know, Star Trek fans are just, they, they're just so cool. I mean, I have a lot of friends on Facebook, but most of them are my, my, my Star Trek fans. And They've been there for me when I'm down. They've been, they're just they're just awesome, and they also know way more about me than about than I do, which is kind of crazy, you know. So I, I I just really appreciate all their you know support, or else I wouldn't be talking to you right now. So. <laughs> I do want to ask you one more question before we jump into Trek because I got plenty of things to ask you about Trek, but I do want to know what is it like doing a fight scene with Pamela Anderson? Well, it was kind of interesting. <laughs> Because I imagine she's not um, the most, uh, you know, I mean, she had her eventually the TV show VIP, which I think was after Barbed Wire or maybe around the same time. So, I mean, I think she was doing yeah. more combat stuff, but I don't really know how skilled she was at the point of Barbed Wire. We 
had like a um oh god I don't I don't know if the right word is pole. We had a big pole each of us like a wooden stick pole thing, and um that was basically our train. We were like train training fighting, and um yeah it was fun doing that. But then you know they cut it out, which kind of sucked. <laughs> You know, and then I was on General Hospital for uh, a day player as Marla, the rock and roll hairdresser. And I had um, a speaking part. All I had to say was as soon as I get off the phone and sure enough, the day they aired it. Yep. You heard me, but you didn't see me. (laughs) It was like, God, you know, all because of one of the actresses, you know, um, thought I looked pretty good and was got jealous. That happens a lot in Hollywood. But at least you got the payday. Yeah, I know. I know. It's just, you know, why can't we all love each other? Right, yeah. So, all right, so Tracy, let's go ahead and jump on into Star Trek from the, the Next Generation because there is so much to discuss. Uh, as you said, you're on at least 100 episodes, easily more. Uh, so I'd like to ask you, kind of run us through your first day acting on the show. Like, well, what was it like getting the outfit, looking at the bridge, being part of the set? What was your? What do you remember from that first day? I was in awe. I literally um, went to the wardrobe. Oh, and when I got on Star Trek, I didn't realize this, but being in the color black and gold is the best color to be because they control two things on the ship, which I did not know at the time. Um, I started out as an ensign, and, yeah, I started out with a a pip, I think. Yeah, with a pip. And then, um, yeah. And um, I walked on the set, and it was like, wow. It was like really being on a ship. I'm not even kidding. I mean, you know, they put a lot of money in each episode, and the sets were insane. Um, back in the day, they didn't have, like, they had a guy, like, standing behind the turbo lift to open the door. The green light would go on, and he'd have to pull a string or something. <laughs> so, you know. Uh, up until like you know now with Discovery and Picard, it's all high tech, more high tech and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it was quite eye opening. Quite, and then when I met, you know, everybody, um, and then they they put me right next to Lavar on the bridge from the very beginning, and then eventually they would have me. Oh, and I had another outfit, the ten forward outfit that I would wear, the turquoise outfit, um, and they always would put me as Patrick Stewart's mate when we'd go to 10 forward and then they'd always, I, I was uh, on an away team with Marina and came back. I mean, I was like going, wow, something's going on here. <laughs> See, as you mentioned, you started out as ensign and then you eventually became lieutenant. Do you remember how or why you got promoted on the show? Well, all I remember is one day I, my outfit had it on, had the one tip and the next day I went into wardrobe or whenever the next day I went in, you know, to work um, and put on my outfit, I had two pips. Um, and if I remember correctly, I think I got the name by mistake, but it, it stuck. So they, they, you know, that's when I went, Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah. I heard that, uh, Jonathan Frakes was the one who called you Jay for some reason. Yeah, he did by accident. I think he was supposed to say Lieutenant JG, but he said Lieutenant J and then it just kind of (laughs) went. So therefore, therefore that's when I said, wow, okay, so, and um, I spelled it J-A-E instead of J-A-Y, and yeah, and it's crazy, I have, like, a really cool cult following, and it just makes my heart happy. (laughs) Yeah, the cult of J. Yeah, the cult of J. (laughs) 
Yeah, it seems like everybody had a really fun time on that show, and uh, yeah, I've watched a lot of the bloopers. And the one that I want to ask you about is this really infamous one now, where uh, it's actually you and Jonathan Frakes in a corridor, and you're basically walking past him. Then all of a sudden, he just turns around and yells, <laughs> yells Tracy, and then chases after you. Like, what was the story behind that? Oh my God! I, you know, the first time I saw that blooper, I just busted out laughing. Um, I, I was just doing my thing, you know. They said action, and. I just had to walk down the corridor, and then Jonathan was the one who did that. And then as soon as he, as soon as I heard my name, I turned, and then I'm like, "Oh, I'm out of here." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, it, it's gotten like that. That that blooper shows everywhere. It's crazy. I just want to know what happened when he caught you. He didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you outran Daddy Longlegs of Star Trek. Well, wow, that's an achievement right there. Yeah, hey, I may I may be little, but I know how to run fast. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, tell me about working with all the cast members because you got to be around again. We'll talk a little bit more about Patrick Stewart and time with him, but I just want to hear about your other interactions with like Lavar, Brent, uh, Jonathan, Marina. You know, because you're around them constantly. So, uh, what was it like being with them when you're shooting and when you're off camera? Um, shooting, you know, we all were very professional. We'd have our little, you know, things where maybe someone would mess up and we'd laugh. But um, yeah, they're all very professional. Um, but they are all very funny too. So um, if I remember correctly, when I first started on the next gen, um, I don't think Marina really liked me that much. Now we get along great. She's fabulous. I love her to death. We talk at cons. Um, She's just awesome. Um, But there was like, I think the new girl thing going on there. Um, And dates has always been, you know, <clears throat> nice to me. They're all very nice to me every time I see them. Um, LaVar and I would, you know, during takes would talk about maybe like he'd ask me, hey, you know, are, do you cook? And uh, we'd talk about cooking or what I was going to be making maybe for dinner that night or what he was making. Michael Dorn and I um, had a blast. Um, Patrick is just hysterical. Jonathan is too. Brent is very, very, very like business, but he's so funny when he's not business. Um I, I to this day I just don't know how he remembered all that stuff he had to say. That's I mean to this day you could probably go up to him and say you know an episode number blah 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 and he could rattle off exactly what he said. That's how you know and I and and he's the one who really really helped me out when I had to learn all the lingu- language you know that I had to say for the pinball game. Um, I had so much to learn and I didn't I couldn't have like a teleprompter when we did the video. So he told me the way he learned, you know, some of his hard things when he he put on his headphone and listened to his, you know, cassette tape. Well, that's how long ago. Yeah, he and he told me to do that when I slept at night to put it on and with with my dialogue in it, and it it really helped me out. And I, I to this day, um, I I thank him every time I see him. So, you know, and we see each other, you know, we run into each other at the cons and. You know, they they could have long lines, and as soon as they see me walking up, they'll drop everything and yell my name, and then I come up and we all hug, and it's just it's just like a family, you know. And I'm very 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 honored to be part of a legendary show as of Star Trek. So, um, yeah, I I just can't even tell you. I'm I'm I mean, who knew this would even would even happen, you know, yeah. in yeah. my life? So <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> So I want to get into the nitty gritty of what it is that you would do on the show when we're basically seeing you. Cause you know, essentially you're part of the ensemble cast. You're a, a background character. You're there to make the ship oftentimes look bigger and be a part of it and, and show that it's a moving living crew. 
when you're doing this kind of role, you know, for example, we'll see you, let's say, in 10 forward talking to someone, or you might be on the bridge pressing some buttons. What kind of direction do they give you? What are you told to do when you're in the scene like that? Basically, they never really had to tell me a lot. Um, you know, basically, if I had to touch buttons, they'd kind of show me, you know, like, kind of how to move or what to, you know, how to move my hands. And I, I just, I don't know. I just got it. And then, like, we'd have the ship shake and we'd have to shake, right, you know, shake right, shake left or whatever. Um, and, you know, being in the back, you know, with, with LaVar, the ship, and then compared to when I, like, flew the ship, if you get hit in the front, you go, the people in the front, you know, have to go a certain way rather than us standing in the aft, we'd go another way. So, you know, you had to learn how to do all that. Um, and then, you know, falling down, stuff like that, that's considered a stunt on the show. Um, yeah. Um, in, in one of the, my favorite episode, uh, one of my favorite episodes was Rascals. Um, and that one is awesome because I played three characters, um, on that episode, I played me, and then um, I was a Ferengi. I don't know if they you saw my Ferengi, but I was a Ferengi that day. And then I also was Patrick Stewart's hands as the little boy when he was punching the computer. Those were my hands. Yeah, I was actually curious about that. Like, why did they need an adult's hand for a little child pressing buttons? <laughs> yeah, well, they called me in and they said, "Tracy, we we want your hands." And I'm like, "What do you want? What?" And they were like, "They go, they because you know I didn't have like." long you know girly hands (laughs) i have tomboy hands i don't know anyway they were you know i said okay whatever so it's i was i was like i was like the um the uh person they would call like oh let's get tracy to do it she'll do it (laughs) um you know even in the um the the god what movie um not the first movie generation the one with the board what was that first contact again yeah where i was the um Queen Borg stunt double in that Alice Creek stunt double, and then um, when her when she grabs his leg going up the ladder, those are my arms. So I had to go in for her and double her arms, which was weird. But um, yeah, um, that's what I mean. Like little weird things would snowball, and then they'd ask me to do this thing, and then I did like video games for the for the Klingon video game one, and I've been like in a lot of things. Um, it's just crazy. And all my aliens, I, oh my God, I've done so many. <laughs> it's crazy. So how did you discover that you could also do the stunt stuff as well? Well, I, I, I did it on Baywatch and stuff. So, I mean, you know, and then I did it in another 48 hours with Eddie Murphy. Um, I have a limit when I do stunts. Um, and especially now, cause I have like a lot of rods and stuff in my body. It's not from doing stunts and, and, stuff like that. It's just because I had a bad spine. Um, but um, I have limits on, you know, I don't jump off of, you know, building or anything, it, you know, so I'm not that crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned a lot about the aliens you got to play. Uh, so I'm curious, what, and you said the first alien that you did was the Antigen, correct? Yes. And I'd heard that you actually met Sharon Stone while you were in that makeup. Oh, my God. Yeah. See, that's what I'm talking about. Like weird stuff. Yeah. I was in my full-on Antican, you know, wear, and the Antican has a prosthetic that went in my mouth, so when I get down on it, my snout would move, okay? <laughs> so I went outside to the alleyway at Paramount Lot to get air when we had a break, and um, at the same time we were filming that episode, on the lot filming her movie was Sharon Stone, okay? Filming, um, oh, God, Sliver. Remember that movie, Sliver? Mm, yep, yep. 
That's about 93 then. Yeah. So here I am in the shade getting, you know, trying to breathe and get air and trying to sip my water through a straw. Um, Here comes Sharon Stone out of her trailer in her terry cloth robe, just trying to maybe do the same thing and get some air. Sees me and (laughs) beelines right over to me. And I'm going, oh my, I'm underneath my makeup going, oh my God, Sharon Stone is coming Oh my God, right into my, she was literally right in front of me checking and she could not even believe the makeup. She was in awe of it. And then she happened to look at the security guy next to me and she said, what does she look like? What do you look like under there? And then it happened to be that day I gave the security guy a headshot because he wanted one. So he holds it up. He sees my photo and says, oh my God, you're so pretty. Why would you cover your face up like that? And I said, well, for one, I don't mind it. And for two, they pay me well. And, um, you know, my, my skin kind of works with it because some actors, they would break out, you know, with all the prosthetics on. So I was kind of lucky that way. That's, I think, why I got to do a lot of the aliens. But um, so therefore, then she says, um, wow. She goes, well, we're having our rap party tonight. And um, how would you like to come as a guest? And um, I, I was like, I, I think I choked on my water through my sock. <laughs> and um, I said, oh, okay, sure. And, um, yeah, so I got to go to her rap party for the movie Sliver. And then to top it all off, she says, oh, and you can have my extra guys, to, you know, watch over you when you walk in and stuff. And I'm like, oh, my God. So, yeah, that was – and I love her. So it was just, like, craziness. I mean, who knew that would even happen, you yes. know? Yeah, that is legit <laughs> craziness crazy. right there. It's total crazy. Trek Untold will return momentarily. Trek Untold is brought to you by Triple Fiction Productions. If you're a Star Trek cosplayer looking for props or toy collector looking to spice up your shelves, Triple Fiction Productions has you covered. Triple Fiction Productions produces affordable and unique 3D printed Trek inspired products from the original series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, and the movies. You can expect the same amount of care and attention to detail in any of the items in their catalog, whether it's a prop replica for use in a fan film, or part of a cosplay, or accessories and playsets for figures from Playmates, Migos, or Diamond Select. Own your very own tricorder or phaser rifle with working lights, the bridge of the Enterprise E for your Playmates figures, or any other item from countless species and ships from the Star Trek universe. All products are 3D printed in the USA and are constantly evolving and improving based on fan feedback. To learn more about their products, visit them at triple-fictionproductions.net or on Facebook at facebook.com slash triplefictionproductions. Triple Fiction Productions, taking Star Trek where no 3D printer has gone before. What's going on, everybody? It's your girl's favorite artist, Josie's boy. And I'm Alexis A. McCoy. And we are the hosts of Call Me When It's Over. We are more than just a podcast. We are a culture cast. Yes, and you can check us out every single Saturday with a brand new episode. We're available on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Google Play. And you can catch us on our homepage at RagsWorksNetwork.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at underscore Call Me When It's Over. That's right. And as always, speak up, speak out. And leave your ego at the door. We now return to Trek Untold. As you mentioned, you were about more than a dozen different alien species on Star Trek. And I'd like to hear a little bit more about the process for you to actually get in all this makeup and those prosthetics. 
you know, since you were so many different aliens, did they need to like constantly retake a face mold of you? Uh, were your heads custom at all, or were they just kind of like, here's a mask, put it on? Uh, tell us a little bit about the behind the scenes parts of being aliens. Um, a couple of mine, yeah, were my mold, um, you know, for me. Um, there was one that I did, I believe it was on Voyager. I do not know the name of it, but it, I, Michael said, Michael Westworth said, I want to, you know, make you an, a different alien. And I said, can you make me a pretty one? Because basically, you know, all the ones I've done, you know, they're not real attractive. Um, so he made this one that was on Voyager. I had a call time at three in the morning. It took six hours or so to put it on. Um, it was insanely beautiful when he was done. And then they, they put contacts in my eyes and I had a forked tongue, you know, that he, he molded to my tongue with the, the prosthetic. Um, and I still have that at the house right now, the tongue. <laughs> I got to keep that. Yay. Yeah, you got um, a custom prosthetic. Yeah, that is unique. Yeah, that took six hours. Um to do and it was just that day was great because as soon as I was done at 9 a.m. because I had to come in at 3 it took till 9 a.m. or so um the first scene of the day was for me so I basically got out of the makeup chair went and did my scene which didn't take long and poof I was done and home by like noon it was great (laughs) and then you know I've I've been Ferengi I've been Ferengi and uh I have my chief you can't really I couldn't like I could, I couldn't talk with my teeth. Mine weren't, weren't specifically molded like you know Aaron's and all them were. So um, where they could talk, but yeah, I, I and, and then there was one alien. Uh, uh, I believe it was called a Cobarian, and um, I knew I knew every time I knew every time that I would get called to be the Cobarian that I would have a sore throat because um, the nose didn't work. So I'd have to breathe through my mouth. So every time I, you know, would get called to be the Cobarian, I was like, oh, I'm going to have a sore throat that day. <laughs> but so, you know, you learn stuff. Um, I, I did both boards. I did the regular board with all the headgear. And then I was the drone board where I was the experimental board in one episode where I was sitting on the on the um, cave floor shaking and, and I had my eye out. And I just, the boards are great. I love doing the boards. Um God, uh, yeah, it's just crazy. I've done so many, I can't even think. <laughs> I could probably, I could probably have a calendar of aliens. I swear to God. Oh yeah, easily, easily. Yeah, the Tracy Alien of the Month Club. Ah, Alien of the Month. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so I've heard from a lot of folks who had to wear the prosthetics and the makeup that oftentimes, like as you just mentioned, like you, you'd get a sore throat from one of them because you couldn't breathe as easily. I imagine other costumes you wouldn't be able to see as easily out of them. Uh, so what's it like being underneath all of that makeup and how do you survive the day like that? Oh my God. Some of them were like so hot where they, you know, we had to have a, a little fan. They'd go and get us little per, uh, personal fans, <laughs> uh, battery operated little fans that we, we have. And then some, some outfits they you could probably take off like half and then walk around without it. But, um, yeah, it got really hot, you know, in there. Um, I was on renegades and, I was in an alien um, that I think that was one of the most difficult aliens I, I ever had. Yeah, I just because, saw Star Trek um, Renegades recently. and I saw some of the makeup. Those those are actually pretty intensive aliens in that show. Oh, intense. Yeah. But the one I had on was like a full on heat helmet. And oh, my God, I every time I would take it off when I could take it off, it was literally like it made that, <laughs> you know, noise and steam would come out of me. Um, I probably lost like five pounds every day I filmed on it, but, um, that I think was the most difficult one. Um, 
you know, the boards, um, they have a full on metal. I call it like a mesh metal. It looks like a shark suit, but it's not like a shark suit, but it looks like a shark body suit you wear. You put on that first and then each piece is a piece like the forearm is a piece. The bicep is a piece. The legs are, you know, pieces. So it's like almost seven, seven pieces maybe that you put on. Um, and then they don't realize, you know, oh, the person may have, the actor may have to go to the restroom or something. And then you had the packed makeup, the white makeup on my face and hands. So you can't smile. You can't do anything because it cracks and then they have to, re- you know, reapply it. But um, I, I basically had a lot of wardrobe and makeup people follow me. Like when I did have to, you know, go to the little girl's room um, or even eat. You know, and there was one attack tack. I did an alien that's attack tack, and they literally had to cut my piece that covered my lips because I couldn't eat. So they had to cut it like with a razor blade so I could lift it up to eat. You know, they're they're cool looking and all, but sometimes they don't realize. Oh shoot, the person has to eat or you know <laughs> have water. Nowadays, I'm sure they they do it a lot differently. Um, but yeah, I just I just love all the makeup. I. I I would love to be an alien again on something, you know. Well, let's make it happen. Yeah. Hopefully Discovery or Strange New Worlds. Oh, yes. Strange New Worlds. I was hoping Picard because who knows, you know, I could be a, an admiral by now, you know, <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah, you, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you, and we've seen you, of course, earlier, um, being a lot of scenes with Patrick Stewart, including when you were basically his date a few times. So talk to us about working that closely with Patrick Stewart and what you remember best about him. Oh, gosh. He's just a gentleman. Um you know, every time we, every time I would come on the set, he'd say, Gracie Coco, he's just adorable. Um, and then, you know, they started putting me in the pen forward as his date. But then I looked on other episodes and I was also in one episode, I don't know the names of them, but I was also Worf's date in one of them and Jonathan Frank's in one of them. But I was usually Patrick sitting next to Patrick. And that one episode where we're in there listening to um, Brent Spiner, I think he was reading poetry. And yep. the three of us, the three of us clapped. This is, they told us this is what we had to do. We had to look bored. And I think we did a pretty good job of it because um, we, we had this, we, we thought he was done. So we stand up to clap. And then it's like, oh, shoot, he's not done. So then we look at each other and we're like, oh, shoot. So we sat back down. But Patrick was telling me that. He was he was starting to get like um, mail asking about him and I. So and, you know, and then the show got the show got canceled. I still think to this day, if it wasn't if it wasn't canceled and we were still doing it, I really think something would have come of, of me, like more of a story. I really do. I feel it because I mean, look where I started when I got on the show, and then when it ended, how much stuff I did. I mean. I love doing it. And they always would call me because I was very professional. I never was late. I did my job and I did it great. And then poof, we were done. And then, oh, well, well we're going to have this. Let's get, you know, crazy to do it. And they'd always ask me first. They wouldn't just throw me in there and say, we, you know, you're doing this. They'd say, how do you think, you know, how do you feel about doing this? I mean, I even did um, a, a magazine came out and did a photo shoot with Jonathan and I, and I was in my antique and and he's kissing me. It was like, stuff yeah. is just, it just, yeah, it was craziness. Stuff like that just happened. It was nuts. I mean, and then they, they flew me to Miami in my Ferengi outfit, and I was on the Miami on the street, you know, in my Ferengi character. And, 
you know, acting like a Ferengi on the street of Miami. I mean, who could say they did this stuff? It's crazy. Yeah, and obviously they liked what you were doing because, again, they brought you back dozens of times. And I'm kind of curious, you know, uh, was there like a little club for actors like yourself who were part of the ensemble that were just always there? Like, you know, who, well, I'd like to ask also, you know, who else was with you that would be repeat cast members like that? We did have our little clip going on. Um, Michael Robinson, I think, was his name. And um, Joyce, oh, God, what was her last name? Oh, and Cameron. Cameron was Gates', Gates uh, stand-in. Cameron Oppenheimer or something. Um, yeah, we all hung out. We, we every, you know, because I mean, I knew I was, I was always a regular on the bridge cast member on the bridge. So every time I get the call sheet, and it would say which days we were filming on the bridge, I knew it was going to be three days. It was always three days. So I knew I was working three days every week. I just didn't know which three days because, you know, when you start out on a Monday, it's usually the call times early, and then you know if the filming and everything goes on track you know, then the next day is probably around the same, but if not, they go over and then it throws the next day, you know how that works and it throws it all over. So, um, but yeah, we had our own little click. We hung out. Um, I never really, I, you know, I, I don't live in LA. So when I, when I did film up there, I would drive from here where I live in Orange County, but I never, you know, hit any of the traffic obviously because of all my different call times. And then by the time I was done, there wasn't any traffic. And so, you know, it worked out that way for me. Um, yeah, I don't think I could have lived in L.A. <laughs> so you were on TNG, you were on Voyager, you were on Deep Space Nine. Um, and from people I've talked to in the past who've also been on those shows, uh, they've all kind of said that each set had its own kind of feeling. Like maybe TNG was a little bit more fun, DS9 was more serious. Uh, what do you remember about the differences between all of those sets? Well, the sets were fat. I mean, DS9 set was great, too. That that set was, was pretty awesome. Voyager, I really, I, I don't really remember it that much because... I I don't know how many episodes I I was on either on DH Space Nine and on Voyager because I was alien. So the time I spent there, I really didn't meet that many of the cast because I was in my alien, you know, where and I go in for my shot and then I'm done and then I leave. So um, I didn't really meet, you know, any of them like I did my cast. So and yes, the next gen is way fun, <laughs> but they're also, they're also very professional and very serious when need be, but they are so fun. Yeah. To this day, they're so fun. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And there's plenty of bloopers also to prove it. I mean, I heard there are so many outtakes from all the shows, especially as I got closer to like the end of the series, they were just having so much fun. And I wanted to ask you, if you remember being part of any like really amazing outtakes that didn't get used where everybody just completely broke character and y'all just had a good time on set. Oh God, there was one. I, I don't think they, they had it, but, um, Michael Doran picked me up and spun me around like a little, I don't even know, like a rag doll. Then that was, but I don't know what episode that was, but it was near the end of the take. And he says, Curse you, Coco. <laughs> he chased me too. And then he picked me up and spun me around and I was like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Patrick Stewart and Jonathan would be so funny, you know, when they, they do the end of the take and then Patrick Stewart would like look at Jonathan and say, come to my ready room right now, number one. And then and everybody would go, oh, you know. Um, but yeah, they're just fun. Um, the one time they thought they were all going to be funny and um, I was supposed to come out, either come out or go in the turbo lift. And they decided not to open the door on cue. So I ran right into the door and they all laughed at that. Um, <laughs> ouch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, ouch. I was like, thanks a lot, guys. So, yeah. 
we just we always would have fun, you know. And then and then um, you know all the directors of of all of the starts, you know, uh, the TNG episodes, they were all great. But my my favorite director had to be Jonathan because he's to take John. I mean, to take Frank. And I'm not kidding. He is. He what he when he likes it, done. Moving on. We and we like that because it made our day way better because we get to go home sooner. So, yeah, he's a great director. Yeah, a lot of the actors on TNG directed a lot of the episodes towards the end of the run. Uh, and you know, again, you being around them for so long, I mean, in terms of the evolution of these actors going into directors, who would you say had it the easiest time and who had the hardest time taking up those reins? Oh, God. Um, shoot, that's a hard one, man. Um, that's what I'm here for. Well, I, you know, the hardest time, I don't know, because they all seem like it just came natural, at least to me. I mean... You know, basically, that's a lot of weight on their shoulders, you know, to direct. So if they screw up, it's on them. And I really, at least the ones I saw direct, they, they it looked to me like they knew exactly what the heck they were doing. I mean, you know, all of them have been in this business forever, you know. So they've seen the, the backside of, of the uh, directing and the front side of the camera and the back. And, you know, I think Jonathan does excellent, as, as you could tell. I love Jonathan. Um I think they all do quite well. I don't think, I don't think that did the ladies do any. Uh, I have to look that one up too. That's uh, that's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I don't they recall. did. Yeah, I don't recall them doing any. I think they'd be great at it if they tried. I really yeah. do. Um, you know, I mean, it's it, it's difficult. I I don't think I'd want to do it because they, you know, probably turn out like a Woody Allen movie and everybody would go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I I, I my brain like stay focused for like so long and then oopsie poopsie I'm over here you know I don't think they dig it but um yeah I think they they all did quite well I I really don't think any of them had a difficult time at least they didn't make it known you know did you ever get any acting advice from any of these cast members that you worked with basically um just be yourself you know um I like I said they never really had to tell me or scold me you know, I, I just listened. I'm a, I listened. I was very focused when they told me exactly like the scene, what was happening, blah, blah, blah. And um, I'm a very observant person anyway. So like, um, you know, like, okay, example, when I did the Antican, Michael Westmore um, used to have just, he'd always give that alien to guys to do. And that's when he gave it to me to do to see how a woman's, um, you know, perception on it would be. And I, that's, I guess I did it well, because like I said, he gave me 15 different aliens to do. But I'm very observant. I mean, I knew, like, how to move like an animal, um, like, because I watch, you know, Animal Planet and all that. And I'm very observant on mannerisms and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, they basically um, just be, like, when I, okay, when I did the stunt in, in Generations, when I got blown out of my chair, but I didn't die. Um, <laughs> uh, I can't remember who the director was. Darn it. On that movie. Darn it. The, the director said, um, as soon as I say action, do not look to your right because the stuff right here next to you is going to blow out. And he didn't want it, you know, smacking me in my face and making me blind or whatever. So anyway, um, I remember my when I, I, I never that was my very major stunt, like working with explosives was crazy to me. But I was so excited. I was like a little kid, you know, when they said this stuff's going to blow up and blah, blah, blah. And you're going to get blown out of your chair and i remember i remember saying before i even made this got this stunt i i had it in the contract um 
I, I asked, um, you know, I'm not going to die, right? Because I knew they were going to have more movies and, they're go- they, and I was supposed, I hear I was supposed to die, but I wrote, they wrote it in the contract that I didn't die. And if you see the movie, they carry me off. And then that's when Marina comes and sits on the, you know, and takes charge um, of the seat. So um, I remember doing that and it was like being a little kid. And then um, Marina told me, um, I, I was uh, uh, watching her panel one con we did together. And um, she brings this up every now and then in, in her panel, that shot. And um, I never knew this, why we had to do two takes. And she said, because when the ambers, you know, when it blows up and the ambers follow me down, the ambers landed on the seat. And so when she came to sit on the seat, the ambers burned her, her butt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we had to read, you know, do a second take. I never knew that until she told me that. And and we should add that because Lieutenant Jay got knocked unconscious, Deanna then had to take over the controls. And uh, ultimately, we can kind of indirectly blame her for the crashing of the saucer section of the Enterprise. Oh, yeah, I do. And she laughed at it. Yeah, she goes, well, you never told me how to fly it. (laughs) (laughs) So something I noticed in the Star Trek Next Generation movies is that Lieutenant Jay's uniform changed. You know, you started in the engineering colors, and then you went to command. And then the last time we saw you, you were in the science uniform. Was there an explanation for that in character, or was it just what they kind of had in stock that you had to wear that day? Um, basically, uh, they put me in those. So I, you know, I'm, I'm grateful because I, now I can say, yeah, I wore every color. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It just happened that way. You know, like I said, I even went on an away team with Marina. I believe I was in my gold and black though. And I came back and didn't, didn't die. But then I didn't die when I was wearing the red and black in the movie and got blown out of my chair. And then in the other movie, yeah, I wore the, 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 the turquoise or whatever color you call it, green or yeah, it just worked out. So you were in, like you said, many, 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 many episodes. But I'm kind of curious, was there ever a day on set that was just like one of the worst days you ever had on, on set? You know, you're going to laugh, but no. <laughs> no, I can't even say anything bad about it. I can't at all. Wow. I loved and I loved going there. I enjoyed it when I would go. I, I couldn't wait like for my for my call sheet to, you know, let me know what I was going to be doing. Um, because it was all, they were all just so cool. It was like family, you know? I mean, God, I was there for like, what, seven years? At three times a week, every week. Um, they were like family, you know? Um, and I miss them all. And I'm just grateful that I've been, I, you know, I could say I'm part of a legacy which is true and um oh that's my dog sorry she's acting like Cujo over here um <laughs> anyway probably when at the end of the when, when our last you know scene we filmed for the for the show that was the saddest day you know yeah what do you, what do you remember about that day everybody was crying crying everybody was crying and hugging each other and it was just sad uh, you know just sad but then look what happened then we got the what four movies and I was in the first three. Um, and then now all these new Star Trek shows are out. I mean, my God, it's like, it, it's never going to end. It's never ending. <laughs> I love <laughs> <No>. it. <laughs> so what do you think happened to Lieutenant J after Nemesis? What, what did she go on to do? I think she went on to explore to tell you the truth. I really do. Um, she probably has her own ship and just, you know, be bopping around. Maybe one of these days, hopefully they all run into them all again, which would be great on some 
weird thing that they're doing and then they happen to bump into me. Oh, they're, oh, hey, you know, I don't know. I, <laughs> I just, I think it would work. I do. I mean, I took a break. I was somewhere else. I thought maybe I, uh, you know, I'm going to go cruising around in the galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> so Tracy, besides Star Trek, there's a lot of other things we can talk about, but there's one thing I do have to ask about. And that's uh, when you were cast in a music video in 1997 for Snoop Dogg. You were in his video, Vapors, and uh, according to the IMDb credit, you're listed as Gangster Babe. Uh, so, <laughs> and, and I just watched the video. I'm pretty sure you're in the background in, in the scenes of the meeting table. So I just want to know, what was it like working on a Snoop Dogg music video? Oh, my God. That is too funny because I was on that. But that, that was just a small, a small part. They had me in a Snoop, I, it might have been the same Snoop Dogg video. We filmed, um, oh gosh, out, oh, what dam was it? It was on a, at a dam or out in the Empire, in the empire or something. Um, and um, Sherman Oaks, I don't remember. But anyway, it was filmed in a dam and they had me as a SWAT officer with a double barrel shotgun. And I had to point it at Snoop singing on stage. And that was a little, that was a little freaky because I hear I come pulling up, you know, to do my thing, you know, work that day. And here comes me, little white girl, you know, getting out of the car and, you know, it was like a small bank. All I smelled was pot. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God. I was like, <laughs> this is going to be fun. So yeah, I, isn't that funny? I forgot I even did the, the part in the bar. Oh my God. That's hysterical. Yeah. I've done a lot of crazy weird stuff. I was even in Bulletproof, the movie. And I was in a bar in there. How weird. And so, of course, you are a working actor still. You're doing a lot of things. So can you tell our fans what we can look forward to seeing you in in the next year or so? Yes. I just got done. Well, not just got done filming, but like um, a year ago. Um, uh, it's called Night Mistress. It's a horror movie. And I play uh, one of the head uh, bodyguards to the mafia. And that's from Dream Cinema Productions. And then I just got done filming um, Assassin's Apprentice 2 um, with Armin Shimmerman and Marina's in it. Um, oh, my God. Uh, Gary. Uh, no, I don't think Gary's in it. Um, oh, God. Who else is? Oh, I think he is in it, Gary. Um, and, um, yeah, and that should be coming out, too. And I, I play a retired assassin in that. So those are two things um, that are coming out. The, fir the first one, Night Mistress, um, they're coming out with a video game on uh, PS4, the Sony, you know, the Game Station or PlayStation, whatever you call it. Yep. So we're, we're, they're coming out with a video game for the movie, too, so I'll be in that. Um, I am in, in talks to uh, be on Star Trek Online. They're, they're, they're going to write Lieutenant J a story. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, you know, I'm sure that's going to be a while because of all the stuff on hold. But, um, yeah, um, my... Um, I'm with PR celebrity, Johnny Steverson's my guy, and um, I've been doing conventions, and um, like I said, I love doing them. Um, you know, this year, uh, you know, obviously three canceled because of the coronavirus, but um, I have uh, one coming up. If they don't, can't, they already canceled it. It was supposed to be for next month in Florida, and they postponed it to August, near the end of August, so I'm hoping to go to that. Oh, I can't remember the name of it right now. Darn it. Um, I'll put it on my website. Um and then I'm going to uh, Canada for one space city, space con or something like that in Canada in November. Um, yeah, I like I, I, I love doing them. So I basically do like a lot, like almost last year I did like maybe once, one every month. 
So they keep me pretty busy. So. Yeah. I look forward to when everything gets back to normal and you can start doing cons again. Me too. Me too. I miss people. I miss hugging people. <laughs> so I also had did a little more research about you outside of acting as well. And I read that you're really into the paranormal. You're a believer of ghosts and UFOs. And, that you, and you also said yep. you had a UFO sighting once. Can you tell us a little about uh, your thoughts on the paranormal. Well, um, I believe ever since uh, my mom... Uh, I, I live in I live in Orange County at my mom's house. Um, she's in Oregon, living um, with her new husband in Oregon. So um, I basically live here, pay rent, take care of the house while she's gone. And um, ever since she bought the house, way back, God, when did she? Like in the seventies, I'm going to say. I don't know. It was like a long time ago. Um, I remember when we first uh, stayed in the house. This house. I think we have a ghost. And it's a nice ghost because obviously he hasn't turned me down in the cellar yet, but um, we call him Fred. And um, he likes to mess with me every now and then. Like, you know, when you're like sitting on your bed or something and then you could feel somebody else sitting on your bed, but there's nobody there. That, that's happened um, when we first moved in. Also, um, the back shower, we have like three, three uh, bathrooms here. And um, the back shower that nobody really used, every time we'd walk by it, the water would be dripping like somebody took a shower there. And it was like creepy. Um, Lights, you know, flicker every now and then. Um, I used to see uh, like this lady on the deck early in the morning, like wearing, you know, the long white dresses they used to wear back in the day with their hair in a bun, and they used to button up all the way to the neck. Yeah, yeah. And all the way down. Victorian era. Yes, she looked like that. And then I never saw her again, just the one time. And then one time. I went out to the backyard. We have a pool, and um, it was I, I just I was having insomnia because of sleep. And this was like also a long time ago. And I go out to the backyard, you know, just to you know get some air and you know listen to the quiet. And I just happened to look up, and I am not even kidding. It was the biggest, quietest thing I've ever seen. Shaped kind of like a, I don't know, like a big triangle thing. And it had lights on the bottom blinking. And then all of a sudden, it just it went away and with no sound, nothing, gone. And then these, these little ball orbs, like, followed it. It was like the weirdest thing. And I was like, what did I just see? Oh, my God. Yeah, that, that was my, my big experience, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think you're working in the wrong franchise, Tracy. We've got to get you on Doctor Who and Ghostbusters next. I know, right? Yeah, and I don't mind them. I mean, I, I'm totally into the alien thing. I... I yeah, I mean, what's the movie with Mel Gibson? Um, signs, signs. Oh, yeah. signs. Yeah. That movie. Yeah. Oh my God, that that scared me to death. Yeah, but it was like scary, creepy, but good. If that makes any sense. But yeah, I I believe in them. I I do, and I have a lot of friends that have, have experienced. I even have a friend, Renee, who said that she was abducted a long time ago too, and has a total experience to say oh, she's going to tell me about it. And I was like, oh my God, really? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> Well, at the very least, you're more than qualified to handle any of them if they do decide to come on Earth. I know, right? <laughs> so you got your first contact protocols. You know what to do in this situation. I do. I do. You know, I'm the most cross-trained officer on the show. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tracy, what is the best thing about being a part of the Star Trek universe? Oh, my God. Um, you know, love. It's like all about love and everybody that gets everybody gets along and there's no hate. And it's just a... Uh, it's just awesome. Gene, Gene Roddenberry's vision is just amazing. And, um, 
you know, it, I don't know. If people could just, you know, we all love each other. You know, everybody has their differences and stuff. But, you know, when the chips are down, it seems like everybody comes together. I think, we're, you know, we're going to get through what's going on right now. It's hard, I know, for everybody. Everybody wants to be back to work and everything, and I get that. Just got to be safe, you know. Safe and smart. Yes, you know? definitely. Yeah, but, um, but hey, if, um, you know, anybody wants to get, you know, uh, find me, I'm on Twitter, um, at at real Tracy, T-R-A-C-E-E-C-O-C-C-O, and I'm also on Instagram, T-R-A-C-E-E underscore C-O-C-C-O, and then my professional uh, website on Facebook is TracyLeeCoco.com, and yeah, yeah, let's make this happen on the Picard thing or the new one. Yeah, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? Yeah, totally. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate enjoyed- it. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Tracy. Uh, we had a really great time, talked about all sorts of things, and I'm happy I got to finally ask about Snoop Dogg, because that was what was most important to me oh, today. Oh, right on. Snoop Dogg. Thanks for bringing that up. I totally forgot about that. <laughs> all right, honey. Well, stay safe, and thanks again. Thanks for having me. Bye. So that was our chat with Tracy Lee Coco. She was a real blast to speak with for this episode, and she's got a lot of fun stories. Doing this Trek Untold podcast has given me more of an appreciation for the unsung heroes of TV and film, and there truly is no one whose praises are sung less than the background extra. You might be saying, well, what's the big deal about these background characters? Well, really, as silly as it may seem, imagine a scene in a movie without them. How bland and boring would it be to see a scene on a New York City street with no one behind the main characters? Likewise, for Star Trek, imagine going anywhere, whether it's uh, some alien promenade or a location on board the starship. In order to make these places look like they're bustling, hustling places of activity, you gotta have people in them. And that's where folks like Tracy come into play. It might seem trivial, and it's definitely something that's not appreciated by the average viewer, but it's worth noting just how important these ensemble players really are to anything in TV and film. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Trek Untold. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this show, and if you can, leave a review and rating. We would appreciate it very much if you did. You can also follow us on social media. Just look for Trek Untold on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you there. And of course, we'd like to hear your thoughts about this week's episode. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can check out patreon.com slash trekuntold to learn how you can keep our ship operating at full power. And you can also check out some of our merchandise at teespring.com slash stores slash trekuntold. Once again, thank you to our sponsor, Triple Fiction Productions. If you'd like to book Tracy to appear at a convention or autograph signing, visit PRCelebrity.com or contact her on any of the social media channels that she mentioned during this interview. This has been Trek Untold. I'm Matthew Kaplowitz, and until next time, fortune favors the bold.